0: <laughs> but I do it on my trackpad with my finger. So I'm not listening to any of you guys, I'm like
1: <laughs> <laughs> obsessed with it. Right? It's, it's,
0: it's yeah. fun. Yeah. Hey, everybody! Welcome to episode 120 of the More Than Just Code podcast. I'm Tim Mitra, and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Aaron May in Whitby, Ontario. Hi there. And also joined by Jaime Lopez, Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. So let's, well, we don't have any Ask MTJC, so let's just uh, scroll through the follow-up, shall we? You're up first,
2: Tim. Hit it. Sure. All right. Go so ahead.
0: I found this uh, kind of cool thing. I, 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 some for some reason so I fell on my head and I opened up Chrome, my Chrome browser, and uh, this article was staring back at me. And I thought, oh, what is this? And it's about machine learning. And what it is is, uh, is a guide, non-technical guide for people who are interested in machine learning. And it's compiled by a couple of guys. It's interesting because they've got listed a whole bunch of different resources for uh, different kinds of things that you might be interested in. Um, You know, some news source sites that cover news on uh, machine learning, some startups, some people, and some events that people can get involved around the world. So great little sort of spot to sort of go. And if you just want to dig into the, the new hotness that is Machine learning, Mark and I were talking about this just before the show. So I don't know if you looked at this uh, page, Mark.
3: Yeah, I took a quick look at it. It looks like there's tons of stuff in there. Uh, so it'll take a little bit of time to go through, but it looks looks like a great resource.
1: I'm just looking at, looking at it now, and I, I would agree that it is a much longer list than I assumed. Um, looks like it's pretty well laid out, too. So I think it gives you sort of an area to attack the, uh, how does it that they say, uh, eating an elephant one bite at a time?
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and they have a, a mailing list too that you can join and typical n- uh, newsy sort of links that come through um every week i guess and uh, it's kind of interesting so i haven't really had time to dig into any of it per se but i just thought since it's, it's a follow-up to the fact that we've been talking about and mark's been talking about specifically um machine learning for quite a while now so
1: yeah and then uh instant fu to your fu is uh quick draw uh from google and that would not be. You know, Quickdraw McGraw, uh, the old cartoon character. No, no, no. This is um, quick, comma, draw or quickdraw.withgoogle.com. And they're using a neural network to try to recognize people's doodles. So it'll give you, you know, like six different words. Um, I think you get, what, 10 to 20 seconds at a time. And you just draw. It says, draw television. And then, you know, you draw a television and it tries to guess what it is that you're drawing, right? It's like you're, you're given the word and then the machine is trying to figure out what you're drawing. Um, and it's actually a lot of fun. Um, I would recommend doing this on your iPad because uh, it's much <laughs> better with touch than it's with a mou- m- mouse. Mouse is, yeah. is tough. I tried it. It's it's not as good. I think if oh, you had a Wacom um, tablet or if you had an Apple Pencil, even better on an iPad Pro, it'd probably be way more fun. And then it's kind of cool to see like... Uh, what it thought were the other possibilities. Like, you know, I was drawing like a duck, and then it's at moose, you know, hammer. I was like, what? No. (laughs) And then you get to see, like, what other people have drawn, too, and then kind of either feel really proud or really ashamed. Like, the the hardest one I got was dishwasher. (laughs) I was like, oh, man, I was like, I've drawn stove, I've drawn microwave, I've drawn ovens. Uh, Octagon is probably the easiest one to get right. Um, hmm. So I'd say, give it give it a shot. Uh, it's it's more of like a fun little, you know, time waster sort of thing, but gives you sort of the idea of what these classifiers are trying to do for the machine learning.
3: Yeah, I played with it too. It was quite a bit of fun. Strangely, it got mustache wrong. And I drew what I thought looked like a pretty good mustache, but, uh, <laughs> but it didn't get it.
0: Well, I was assigned to draw an anvil. And as, it was funny because as I was drawing it, it was kind of guessing all the other things like you said. But, but then it said, oh, I know, anvil. So... Score. Yeah. <laughs> but I do it on my trackpad with my finger. so.
2: not listening to any of you guys. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> You're obsessed with it, right? It's it's, it's yeah. fun. Yeah. Our neural net figured out four of your doodles, but I saw something else in the other two. Okay. I'm trying to figure out... Okay, so it didn't get my radio, and it didn't get my truck, which admittedly looks like a turtle. Hmm. This is interesting. Hmm. 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 Yeah, if I had an iPad Pro with a pencil, I'm sure I would be better. But not much better, let's be frank. It's me.
0: Okay, hang on. Yeah,
2: I've even seen some
1: it. some YouTube folks, um, some some Let's Players in particular, who have the Wacom tablets on their, their artists. And it's amazing like how much they can get done in 20 seconds that uh, is both you know, really good art and at the same time is also like understandable by the machine.
3: You know what Ooh. the coolest thing about this is? I think, and I haven't looked at it that closely enough for sure, but I'm pretty sure that they're actually using your drawings to help improve the model. Well, obviously, so, that's
2: what it's for. Right, right. Clearly, yes, yes. Yeah, it's clearly a learning algorithm to get you to give it more data. That's what Google's all about. Oh, yeah, yeah, clearly. That reminds me of um, uh, Google, Google, Google had worked on a, I think it was a speech recognition algorithm using machine learning in order to get enough data to train their system. They created a a sort of four one, one service is ringing a bell for anyone. Is it just me? sounds kind of of familiar. Well, so that they, they had like a free service that you could call on the telephone and you would have to ask it for um, someone to contact, I guess. And it would provide you with the information, something like that. And when they got enough data uh, for their experiment, they just shut it down. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what that's Google, right in a nut. <laughs> I kind of had a similar idea for you know an application of machine learning, and uh, I don't like the term artificial intelligence because I think it makes that technology seem like more than it really is. You know, it, it sort of uh, inspires visions of of Skynet and other such terrible calamities that um, I think anyone who's involved in this field knows is kind of science fictiony. It just doesn't have much grounding in reality, um, but Machine learning I think is very interesting. So um podcasts, right? One of the big things that I think podcasts need is a is a way to transcribe. And if you could have a machine learning system that could process a podcast and produce a transcript from it, like that'd be huge, right? Wouldn't that be huge? So write mm-hmm. it. It's huge. existing
3: technology. I mean there's voice to, to text has been around forever. Not forever, but for yeah. many years. So write it. Yeah. What Wait, uh,
2: I'm I'm all over it. Okay. I'm, well, uh, okay. Oh, well, I'll have it for you next week. Then. <laughs> okay. uh, Great. I mean, somebody cool. who's capable should write it. Not me. Obviously not me. But, you know, someone should do that. I mean, I think that would be wonderful. Like, just hand it a, hand it a podcast file. Here's an MP3. And it, sep- it identifies the different speakers. And maybe you could plug in, you know, here's a voice. Who is that? And you say, Aaron. And then here's the other voice. That's Tim. And then it just goes and does the rest with it because it recognizes those voices and then takes out the ums and ahs and the... So that would be a great technology. Go for it. Free ideas. I'm just an idea guy. You guys run with it. You, you listeners. All right. Or if it already exists, let me know because we could use it for this show. (laughs) All of this very ephemeral material that we're producing in podcast form, um, is, is just gone, you know, the moment it's it's published basically. So we have our listeners who listen to it, but then it's a huge drop off and it doesn't really last, right? So something I said that was idiotic a year ago, um is happily anonymous at this point. Oh because... no, we totally remember what you said a year ago. <laughs> sure you do. I don't remember what I said last week. <laughs> I mean and I just was listening to it this morning. So don't even go there. The point is, if uh, there are a way to have transcripts of podcasts, and uh, if that were a thing that all podcasts could do, then it's even something that you could have um, in the podcast client. Uh, that would be pretty cool, too. Think mm-hmm, about the possibilities. Mm-hmm. So, uh, people out there, go to, get back to me, let me know.
0: I, d- I do know that uh, uh, I can ask uh, the people at Ray, because they do transcriptions of some of the videos. And I think they use a service. I'm not sure if it's an automated thing or if somebody actually sits down and types out each word. And I, I've had to transcribe videos and myself in the past, you know, to sort of gather notes and stuff like that. So it's time consuming, but it can be done.
1: So maybe we end up crowdsourcing this then. So uh, if you're listening to our back catalog of episodes and you find something particularly hilarious that we said, uh, tweet that at us at, us at uh, you know, with hashtag MTJCgems. And, uh, you know episode and time code would be like best because as mentioned here without the transcripts it'd be really hard to search and go find where it is you're talking about
0: wow yeah otherwise they're lost like sorry lost tears like in the tears rain. In rain tears in the rain exactly tears in the rain there's a song isn't, isn't that a song no it's a line from uh um oh i knew it until you asked me um hand solo not hand solo not hand solo blade runner blade runner blade runner
2: yeah, it's okay. uh, the Roy speech at the end, where just before uh, he dies. All right, all right. All right. Mm-hmm. all right, let's move on, Tim. You've got another right. awesome link. It's dock time. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, we we're this is following up on our talk about the um, the four ports on four Thunderbolt three ports on the new um, MacBook Pros, and this is another dock that's supposed to be coming out in January, I believe, from one of the places I buy a lot of stuff from from OWC. Um, they've got a dock coming out. Uh, Thunderbolt 3 dock in for around two, so just under three hundred dollars a US. That's in pre-order right now, and it, it, ha- it offers things like SD card reader, audio out, um, regular USB ports, as well as FireWire 800, Ethernet, gigabit Ethernet, uh, and a couple of extra three Thunderbolt ports and uh, Mini display port. So, so a friend of mine, um, Charles Perry, was lamenting on the. I think he mentioned on – I mean, he must have got a Mac Pro. He was saying that he can't um, drive his DisplayPort. Uh, he's got a couple of uh, monitors. He was having trouble um, running. And I had just found this the day before and put sent it over to him. So it has interesting things if you're looking for, you know, to drive your old monitors and stuff like that as well. And as well, there's, there's an older product that they have. I don't know if it's much utility for most people, but it, they do have a USB dock that's available now, USB-C dock, I should say. Um, But I don't think it offers as much features as this one does. And it's similar to sort of what you were saying, Aaron. You wanted to have something on your desk that you could just plug into, you know, to have your spare drives and all
2: that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, This one looks uh, pretty good, actually. Um, I think it's available now. Yes. Uh, So it comes in different colors. Yeah. And it's got three USB-A type ports, a USB 3.0 Ethernet, and... Another USB-C and HDMI. Yeah. So yeah. only HTML, not DisplayPort. Might still be okay. But she comes in rose gold, though. Mm-hmm. Rose gold. Yeah. And But the <laughs> Thunderbolt 3 port uh, version that you first started with is $280 right now. but And yeah. not available until February. Right. Right. But it has the DisplayPort. And obviously faster yeah. throughput all over because it's Thunderbolt instead of USB-C.
0: Well, it's interesting too. I saw on Twitter um, that uh, somebody had posted that they couldn't get the Belkin.
2: Um, Which is it Gigab- no, yeah, oh, gigabit? No, it's something. Oh, Ethernet. I think it's? you're thinking of the e- Ethernet adapter to USB. c Yeah, they're they're like months not at, they're, available. They're back yeah. months back
0: ordered. Yeah, cause I need to yeah. get some of those for for our at work as I mentioned before, right? But right. Um, yeah, and I had put that on my list, and I didn't really look at the 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 uh, ship date. And yeah, it's it's quite in the future, so exactly an yeah. apple solution was to give the guy uh i think a, U, uh, a usb adapter and then no i guess a thunderbolt a thunderbolt, thunderbolt 3 thunderbolt
2: to, thunderbolt. to thunderbolt 2 and then two a Ethernet. usb yeah. yeah yeah that's an ugly so. situation
1: yeah i would hope that would be a like a loner situation where once it's in stock i can bring it back and be like here you go and then let me buy the one thing i actually wanted <laughs>
0: <And maybe> like be <laughs> screw you <laughs>
1: It'll well I mean like so. in
0: this case here these these two thunderbolt docks the one that's available today for like 140 something dollars US um that one if you needed to get a gigabit ethernet right away you could start off with that one I would think right yeah right so plus plus like I said I need an SD card reader for my uh 3D printer as well right so and cameras
2: yeah it's not as portable though I mean you know the the two adapters together is still something you can put in your bag where this this dock not so much
0: that's true yeah
2: yeah that's yeah I mean things to think about yeah, I
0: mean, well, I mean, if you're sort of the the like Mark and I both tend to use our our uh, laptops on our desks with a monitor and all that kind of stuff, but occasionally we'll unplug and go and go nomad with it, right? So,
2: yeah, so yeah. a doc is is the perfect thing to have for that scenario, uh, unless yeah. you yeah. also need to plug into stuff on the road, in which case it's adapter time. Exactly.
0: Well, then hopefully then you only need one or two adapters, right? Not not yeah. the whole shooting
2: match, right? In practice, uh, the Really, the only adapter I need now is this uh, USB-C to USB-A adapter. That's the only one I use uh, now that I have my four ports. Uh, And because the only things I plug into my computer are uh, my microphone, like right now, which is a USB microphone, right? Uh, The other thing is my lightning cable. And so now now I have a USB-C to lightning, and so no adapters required.
0: Yeah, you know it's funny. I was I was working on an iPhone Seven at work and dealing with accessibility. And of course, I'm I'm tethered off the the Mac because I, I'm doing build and I want to I want to have the whole console output. Um, but then I have nowhere to plug my headphones in because at you know so hopefully hopefully somebody's going to come up with a, with a lightning port splitter so you can have chart you know have yourself tethered to your Mac and also be able to use your headphones at the same time. So I mean I do have Bluetooth headphones at work. I had to bring them in from home, but that's kind of a pain in the butt
2: oh so I'm sorry, you're using your the i the headphones that came with your iPhone seven
0: yeah, so it, so I've right, got the right. one lightning port, and uh yeah,' that what came with, and then I need to if I'm tethered and I want to use I don't want to just serve everybody at the office, so you want to wear headphones when you're doing voiceover right, sure, so. yeah,
2: but you know you can you get the adapter for the headphones to plug into the headphone jack of your computer, right no no the the voiceovers on the phone. Like, I'm listening to the oh, voiceover on
0: the phone. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. So, it's kind of a pain in the butt. So, people get to listen to voiceover as I'm testing it, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. So, that's kind of, a, you can't, kind
2: of a drag. You're not plugging your headphones directly into your phone then?
0: No, because I have to be tethered. Like, I'm running, I'm building off of Xcode onto the phone. Right? I see. I need okay. to see the console on, the, on the Xcode. Yeah, exactly. That's that's where the conundrum is. Okay, so I can't, you know, of all the things that Apple would think we would never need to do, and that's, you know, be tethered and
2: listen to the phone at the yeah. same time. Yeah, they don't care about that situation at all. <laughs> they
1: don't there is a third-party splitter that does exactly what you're describing, but I think it's like oh, really? 40, 40 bucks, I think. I don't, I'm sure you can find it online. Let me see if I can.
0: Like a lightning splitter, yeah. And there are there are because um, Charles was saying he needed two USB, sorry, two mini Display Ports for his situation, and and I have seen um, Display Port splitters as well, but I don't know how they I don't know how they work. I guess because they're digital, it, uh, the uh, operating system is able to tell one port from the other. So if you had two monitors hooked in, what do you think?
1: Who knows? See, sorry, Tim, I'm following up here. Is this Belkin one that I put something that uh, you're looking for? I think. Let me see. So you have the one port going into the phone and then the two, so the headphones coming out and then the uh, lightning cable that's connected to your laptop, which is where you're presumably running your code and you're trying to debug and test. Yeah. I did in fact put it in the Skype chat. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Belkin for sure.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's others, maybe there's others that are uh, better or perhaps cheaper or what have you, but there's at least a starting point. Yeah, for sure. Check it out on Amazon and then see what people actually bought
0: how do you mean like from what other
1: things like their much? their recommendation system that shows you like people bought you know this along with other things or people bought this instead and it gives oh, you kind really? of a huh. nice like crowdsourced way of, of understanding what's happening there
2: oh yeah hmm. can't tell if it's actually available yet it looks like it is so i see it on belkin's website hmm. it does seem to be available shockingly so, so many things that we talk about these days that plug in via USB-C are not available these days. Um, but this is lightning, so maybe it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hmm. There's a solution to your problem, Tim. All righty then.
0: Okay. Well, next follow-up item is the, uh, we, we talked about, I think last week, we talked about the Apple Store, App Store Purge in respect to the Mac App Store. Aaron asked a question, but uh, I found this article this week. TechCrunch about uh, the fact that uh, some numbers have been revealed in terms of not from Apple but third parties in terms of what apps are starting to be perched from the store, and uh, I think twenty-three percent of them were games. Which, as you can imagine, there were probably a lot of cloned games out there that did very little but jump around and flap. If you know what I'm saying. Don't, don't
2: we know what the percentage of apps that are games is on the store? Like, it's more than twenty-three percent, isn't it?
0: Oh, 28%, um, twenty-eight percent. Sorry, twenty-eight. Yeah. I'm not I bet sure. You it is. Uh, yeah. But anyway, like they're saying that 47, 40, sorry, 47,000 apps have been removed so far since mm-hmm. the per did it start in January 16th? Couldn't have. That seems apps early. Re- yeah. Oh, I guess mm-hmm. October 16th is like August, September, October. Those are the, the sort of numbers where they're starting to spike. Oh, so it's just October 16th, or sorry, October 2016 is when these 47,000. Yes, that makes more removed. sense. Yeah. Yeah. So.
3: I had two apps that uh, I allowed to be removed by not updating them. Uh, they were just, they were kind of old and weren't really doing anything. And the amount of work that it would have taken to get them up to speed was just more than I wanted to do. So I, so I let them go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Did we discuss it? Do, is there a way to delete an app from iTunes Connect? I can't remember.
3: To delete? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Sure. There is? Okay. Okay.
3: Really? How? Uh,
2: do you want the step by step? <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't figure off my head. Did you, you, did you just head, take yours
0: off sale? Off sale, or do you? I did them remove from
2: sale, but I and I also saw the delete option there and didn't okay. do it. I just couldn't bring myself mm. to delete them. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Your babies. Yeah, exactly. Um, Real time follow up. I have a link here to a website that breaks down the percentage of apps by category, and according to this, from Statista. The statistics portal. Games represent twenty four percent of the apps on the store. And so mm. uh that's he was pretty close to the percentage of apps that are games that were removed. Right, right. Interesting, huh? Isn't that fascinating? Uh-huh. So fascinating. So now I know. Hmm. Huh. I'm in the so, two point six two point six nine percent. Yes. With my product. I'm in with 0%. The app. I don't want to be <laughs> in the store. Hmm. Okay, so good riddance, right? I mean, the fewer apps, the better. But the thing is, I think I saw... Oh, yes, it was in the iOS App Weekly newsletter. Do you get that every Friday? Uh, I I don't think so. Okay, and uh, so that's a newsletter that goes out, and I've forgotten the name of the uh, jolly fellow from England who does it. I apologize for that. Uh, He uh, was keeping track of a selection of apps that he felt should have been part of this purge. And, uh, since before, you know, Apple did anything and he was saying in the last issue of the newsletter that many of those apps are still there, uh, leading him to believe that this purge is still underway. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, stay tuned. 43,000 apps this time and, uh, more to come.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I would think so. I mean, there's, there's millions and millions and millions of apps, right?
2: Well, not millions and millions and millions. You know, like, uh, was it it like one point two million? Dave Verwer, it's the fellow. My bad.
0: I, th- I know it was a number that Tim Cook um, used in a keynote at one point last year or something about how many apps there were on the App Store.
2: Oh, I wasn't looking for that. What I was looking for was Dave Verwer's right uh, yeah. post. So. So the next
0: item I put on the follow-up list was uh, a post by Den Zandanoff. And I thought we talked about him before. He's, I believe, the publisher of PDF Expert. And he's talking about how you can still make millions creating apps on the App Store and my proviso was your mileage will vary, because um, PDF Expert was already a very successful app on iOS, but when it came to the App Store, and actually when I checked out, we did actually talk about this last November, when he first launched uh, onto the App Store, Mac App Store. So he's got some follow-up numbers here on um, how he did in the last year. So I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at this piece.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah. It. it- Definitely makes sense. I mean, look at the the number of units sold, right? Like that's um, that wouldn't be huge for for iOS numbers if you're trying to sell it at you know ninety nine cents or with some sort of in app purchase for ninety nine cents or something. Um, but when you're selling something that is you know multiples of dollars and not single dollars, it uh, it definitely makes a lot more sense economically if you can find that that balance. Uh, And as some real-time follow-up here, uh, probably too late by the time this episode goes out, but maybe PDF Expert is having a Black Friday sale, so you can get PDF Expert with $20 $20 off. So hopefully it's still available by the time this episode goes out.
0: Or Cyber Monday, maybe, yeah. Yeah.
3: It's pretty interesting that 50,000 units makes it number one app on the Mac App Store that's a pretty low number compared to iOS as you were just saying. I mean, I, mean I, I I don't know the numbers today, but but at one time uh you needed to have several hundred thousand copies per day to be number one app on the app, on the iOS app store. It's probably even higher now.
0: Well, just interesting to look at the fact that he says he got a 100 million or sorry, well, a million people visited the PDF site, site the PDF expert site. 150 trials were downloaded and 50,000 were sold. So, I mean, that's a very low percentage out of a million, right? That's,
3: well, 15%, right? Out of, uh, you know, 150,000 out of a million. And and that's actually not that terrible of a conversion rate. If you can see, you know, uh, it's conversion from just looking at the marketing advertising to an actual download. That's actually reasonably high,
0: 15%. Right. Right, and he puts himself in. A, he's in. He's in a kind of niche market too, and he's got a little graphic here showing that he's right between uh, the free preview app you get with your OS and and Adobe's product, which I believe is also free, unless he's talking about the uh, version that comes with the cl- Creative Cloud. Um,
1: yeah. So, yeah. Look at that that funnel, right? So, so Mark was talking about that funnel from one million to one hundred fifty k, all right? But then that funnel from one hundred fifty k trials to fifty k
3: sold. That's really good, actually. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, one in one in three. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: that's excellent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: So he's got a overall. It's uh, it's about a five percent from view to purchase, which is pretty good. Yeah, it yeah, looks like so. people
1: are are coming and in there with a specific need, right? It's yep. not like you know you're, you're Jonesing for a new social network or some new uh, game or something. You're like, dude, I need to do something with this PDF. What's out there? What's available?
0: I mean, it just goes to show that the, that I suppose the point is that the, that it is still possible to to make a decent living, or not a sorry living, but make some money on the um, on the Mac App Store. It's not dead, as we you know sometimes say, but um, it is possible. Like, it, it's it's a matter of finding a, a a good product that people will be interested in in using. So obviously a utility or something like that, right? And quality as well. That's another very mm-hmm. important
2: thing on the Mac, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, charge real money. Hello. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Step one, yeah. Well, 60 bucks a pop, you know, like that's...
3: Step one is have a good product.
2: Yeah, obviously. But, I mean, this is why um, apps on iOS are not making money. It's because they only charge 99 cents. Or, you know. That's true, yeah. Yeah, that does seem to change. It depends on the
0: market, right? So there are some markets where it's hundreds of dollars for an app, right? So,
2: but On iOS? Very, yeah, yeah, but Oh, come uh, on. I I mean I know there are, but to to even speak of them is to give Oh, no, they they're, they're the crap.
0: rarity, but they're in <laughs> such there's in such a niche market like, you know, they're they're, you know, um uh apps for, you know, aiding people who can't speak for themselves and that kind of stuff, you know, the apps that have a specific role in in people's lives. Yeah, sure, lives, sure yeah, of course. Yeah. Yes, yes. But yes. they're not your average everyday everybody's no. going to download a kind of app, right? No. Yeah.
2: No. Okay, so That's it for follow-up. That seems to be it, yeah. All right. Searching for a new job can feel stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. Sometimes you'll go all the way through an interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. But then there's hired hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. Over a four-week time frame, you receive personalized interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about which opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Throughout the process, your dedicated talent advocate will have your back, providing unbiased career coaching to help you put your best foot forward with potential employers. Hired offers access to 4,000 and more innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. We help people find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Just let us know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance to us. That's why Hired hides your profile from your current and past employers. The best part, it's always free for you to find your next job on Hired, no exceptions. We pay you to get hired. Today's listeners can earn double our normal $1,000 hiring bonus by signing up with the show's link. That's right, earn $2,000 for finding your next chapter on Hired. Just go to the URL, com slash more than just code. All right. So, Apple's out of routers. This is something that we heard uh, this week that Apple, reportedly by Bloomberg, is getting out of the router business. The Airport Extreme Express and Time Capsule lines are going to be no more. Uh, and it seems that for the past year, Apple has been uh, dispersing the engineers on those projects to other things in the company. Hmm. And so, if you are in the market for new Wi Fi gear for your home, uh, you must look elsewhere at this point, uh, If especially if you're thinking that um, Apple's going to come up with something new. Whenever the next wireless standard comes out, it's generally when people upgrade their equipment. Uh, and uh, you should not look to Apple to do it next time this happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I guess the the thing about this, this news is that this is the second exit we've heard about from Apple uh, in the hardware space. The first being uh, displays, since LG is taking over their business. Uh, Although on a more minor note, uh, we're seeing Apple hand off a little bit of business to people like Belkin with the Mm -hmm. USB-C Ethernet adapter, because they are not making that one themselves for whatever reason. I mean, they're making a bunch of other dongles. Why not that one? No, it's Belkin that has that. So they're out of that business. Uh, And now they're out of the router business, which is kind of sad because one of the great things about Apple's networking hardware i mean aside from the price you pay for it which is not great but has the the, the great and easy configurability and that sort of uh well-established trust that it works reliably something that totally. you couldn't get out of say a linksys router which was the sort of standard purchase that you would make spend 60 dollars 80 and get a router that would basically burn out in six months and or force you to unplug and replug it every week or two, yeah. <laughs> uh, Apple stuff doesn 't do that kind of shenanigans
0: yeah i mean i for me time time machine backups has always been a huge reason to have apple products, and it makes me sad to see that they 're going away from them because i 've always sort of kept you know up with the latest versions of those you know i have and it 's only been since two thousand and thirteen that they last refreshed those, so I have the the two terabyte tall you know Uh, version that came out then and i think that was uh 802.11n i think so you're you're talking about uh,
3: time capsule not time machine right
0: yeah but it's a time capsule but yeah, sorry but time machine machine backup right
3: but time machine backup is still available as software you can use it with any kind of external drive or or solution you want
0: yeah connected to your mac but what about on the network right yeah, I, I don't... Historically you, had, historically, you had to have a server to run um, the You need some kind of network software,
3: attached yeah. server. Uh, yeah. Well, not to run the time yeah. machines. Well, yeah, to to run time machine software on a network, yeah, you need to have some kind of network attached storage, true.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I suppose, too, uh, Aaron and I both use CrashPlan, and that's another option for people to you know to have a mac that hosts uh a backup for the mach- other machines in the in the network right other macs in the network and that kind of stuff right
3: yeah yeah
0: is, is that what you're doing aaron with your no uh, no, crash plan? I,
3: no
2: i back up directly to crash plan from oh Free in Compu- the states okay okay yeah, in the yeah. states.
3: <laughs> so, yeah, so so when I first saw this article, yeah, I was a little disappointed myself because I've I've used Airport Express and I, I think it's great or uh, extreme rather the base station. I also have an Express and I think they're great and and I've had them for years. But as I thought about it a little bit more, I'm not sure it's really that big of a deal. Let me explain why. This is really getting to be commoditized hardware. Yeah, for I sure. Mean, it's, yeah, it's cheap stuff now. It's not really. Uh, it 's not really stuff there 's a lot of profit margin on apple 's not making a lot of money off these things, well, maybe Apple is because they have higher prices, but in general people don 't make a lot of money off of this stuff so it 's not really clear that we want Apple spending engineering time on this kind of stuff, especially when you consider a couple of things uh, i don 't know about where you guys are, but but I have my network my internet through Comcast. And it, uh, the cable modem they give me is not just a cable modem; it's also a, a wireless gateway. And I can't get anything else from them. I mean, that's that's what they that's what they offer. It's a wireless gateway. So, since I use uh, uh, Airport Extreme uh, base station, I have this sort of daisy chain of of routers where I have this Comcast box sending a network through my house that I can't turn off. It, it, I don't have enough access to turn that off. Uh, oh, really? But I don't actually mm. use that network. So I have multiple networks. Some of which just never get used because I establish my own network through my airport. Now, do I really need to do that? Probably not, because uh, it's it was it's it's pretty easy to set up the other network. Uh, I just I do it because I'm using my Apple hardware that I like. Do I need to? Probably not. The other thing is is that cellular networks are, are getting to be so pre- prevalent and so fast. That we may be moving into a time where you know you may not need Wi-Fi as much. Obviously, if you're downloading huge amounts of things today, then yeah, Wi-Fi is still a, the right solution. But in a couple of years, who knows? You know, once we get into 5G, whatever that is, it, it, it may not be so necessary to have a, a independent networks. So, in the future, is is it really necessary that Apple puts out their own wireless routers? I'm kind of thinking no.
0: No, I totally agree on that respect. I mean, by the way, I have a Bell router, and I can turn the the Wi-Fi off, and you and I, so I use my, I connect through it, but I use my Time Capsule machine as as my main uh, gate. Provides my my uh, Wi-Fi access as well as um, backs up my machines. And I mean, but to counter the argument about uh, cellular, I mean. Currently, I'm you know starting to use Netflix more and more, and TMN Go and that kind of stuff, and yep. and those are gigabytes of data that's coming down. So that would be prohibitive to do sure. on, on a cell plan. To, but,
3: today, yes, today yes. But in y- a couple of years, who right. knows? I mean,
0: and and you know, I can speak from the point of view of being a reseller of things in the past. That uh, it was always tough to compete with uh, the, the Linksys and the D-Link and that kind of stuff and Netgear. Um, uh, in in the marketplace because, you know, you would sort of want people to have everything shiny with an Apple on it, but uh, when they were standing at the Best Buy and they could say, well, I can get this for like 69 bucks as opposed to your 299 for the, your Apple Base Station, yeah. it was a hard hard sell, you know, to say, oh, but yeah, but it's, you know, it's white and it's got a Chrome logo on it, you know, that doesn't quite sell it. And even though... You know, Apple has always, like you said, had the, had the easier setup. Uh, I can see, you, to your point about things being commoditized. As soon as things are being commoditized, uh, you really want to get yeah, out of that market yeah. because then you're just you're shaving pennies to make yep. copper wire kind of thing. You know.
3: Yeah. A good example uh, of that is is the optical drive. Right. You can go out today. Say you need an optical drive for some reason, an external one that you want to plug into your into your laptop or whatever. Uh, you can go out and you can buy the Apple one. And they probably charge you—I sure, don't yeah. know, 150, 200 bucks. I don't—I haven't priced it. I don't—I don't know what they cost. But, but uh, can almost guarantee that it's it's uh, two or three times more expensive than going to Fry's and just buying the cheap, low-end one that's probably available for 20 bucks uh, yeah, from exactly. somebody else, and it and it does the same thing.
2: Um, let me provide a counterpoint uh, to this, and I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you that Apple should not be in this business, uh, but. There are companies that are in this business that are new entrants and who have a distinct and new product. And uh, I'm thinking of companies like Eero, Eero, E-E-R-O, and another one called Ubiquity. And they have a consumer line called Affinity. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? No. Okay. So these companies offer wi-fi routers that are um, using mesh technology and what they do is they sell you a base station and one or more uh, satellite units that plug in through your house and automatically recognize and configure themselves to provide a much more consistent and more powerful signal throughout your entire house Um, the problem with single one-off like an airport extreme for example or any kind of router is that it sits in one place and your coverage in the house is kind of spotty it depends on all these factors whereas with a, a mesh network you can uh customize the placement of the uh the routers within your house to get maximum coverage and this is kind of a a new thing you know like Eero has been around for maybe a year or so um if you listen to other podcasts you've probably heard the ads um this is an area where Apple and and other traditional commodity router vendors are being left behind. Frankly, so if if you are in the market for new networking gear, you really do need to take a look at a couple of these these vendors because um, they offer higher prices. <laughs> you're not going to spend sixty bucks on these things. You're going to spend like you know two hundred, three hundred dollars, um, but you're going to get like a much faster local network and one that works everywhere in your house,
0: which yeah, is funny. kind
2: of where things are going. It's funny.
0: I was in the uh, Home Depot the other day, and I saw an LED light bulb that had a wireless repeater in it, which was kind of weird, you know?
3: Mm. So all, yeah. that's that's awesome, and those things are great, but that's even all the more reason for Apple to not be in that business that's, because it's not something that they're going to make a lot of money off of. So let somebody else do all the R&D and development for that and sell it for that, low, that cheap price. Good for them. Sure, yeah. Doesn't mean Apple has to do it.
2: Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of a, a, you know, where do you draw the line, right? Like Apple was, bu- was building Wi-Fi gear in order to best uh, integrate with its products. And if they're not doing that anymore, then that seems a little odd to me because, uh, there are certain things that, that only Apple can do by integrating, you know, uh, fi into, uh, into its networking technologies. And then all the phones and the, the Macs sitting around your house, uh, you know, having a known wireless access point to work with could provide a number of advantages, you know, things like airplay, for example. Um, or automatic configuration of new devices that come on the network, for example, something that Apple's toyed with a little bit.
0: Well, it's also been seven or eight years since Apple sold an, a- an XServe, right? When the uh, last server, I think I have yeah, one here, X-Serve. 2009 yeah. XServe. And yeah. when they when they book, they backed out of the enterprise market because they, there was no way they were getting in competing with the other, other uh, vendors. And because they were competing with people who could kill them on price, uh, and, and they had ubiquity in terms of uh, already acceptance from the from the IT people out there in, in the uh, in the corporate world right so i was really sad to see them get out of out of serves. so i th- i think it's you know they've they've kind of focused and now that we now that they're making what uh, is it 60% from ios device sales uh, iphone in particular um why would they spend you know so much effort and engineering time on something that you know they're they're not going to sell that many of when you get down to it I mean, how many base stations do you think they sold in you know the last little couple of years, right? That may be where they're sort of making their business decision on the fact that well, there's already other companies out there. Maybe 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 a strategic alliance with Euro or Belkin or something like that. Maybe one of those people can pick up for in in my case the the time capsule kind of product, right? So because maybe they can partner with them and and you know share the, share the engineering knowledge and and then Apple doesn't have to worry about actually spending the time to make or or. Have staff to build
1: these things, right?
3: Yeah, completely makes sense.
1: So, real-time follow-up on pricing. So, I went to Apple's store, and in U.S. dollars, the Apple USB SuperDrive is seventy-nine dollars. I also went to Fry's, and the most expensive external drive I can find is fifty-nine ninety-nine. The least expensive is twenty-three ninety-nine. There you go. Most of most of them in that like forty forty five ish dollars looks like about the average.
3: Yeah. So so if all you do if all you use your optical drive for is to uh, rip CDs or burn CDs every once in a while or or something like that, then you probably don't need the more expensive one, and you're pretty much getting the same performance out of out of the cheaper one. So that's true. So you know that's that's a great example of why Apple doesn't need to be making these things anymore.
0: Yeah, I mean I have the I have a MacBook Air uh superdrive upstairs, USB connected one that I've got with my one of my MacBook Airs umpteen years ago. I have three Macs here at least that are running every day and I've haven't burned a disc in I don't know how long, so yeah. I think I use I use my um I use the uh the super drive to support my external SSD drive that's on my iMac so that it clears the top of the keyboard. <laughs> that's about that right
1: all right mr um, lopez and hang, if you if Sorry. you do have some of those uh you probably should hang on to them just in case they make another book they buy <laughs> you on ebay <laughs> at an extreme markup but well, you know it's
0: funny i uh, when i when i saw that thing about the uh the uh, ethernet uh gigabit ethernet adapters being scarce i went i have i have a usb one from back when i had my macbook air um and the original macbook air and uh I looked checked on eBay to make sure the prices weren't going through the roof. So there still are USB ether, Ethernet adapters made by Apple available on e- on eBay for a reasonable price. So get yeah. them while
1: they're hot. I mean if you got the bag of dongles right now is the time to hang on to those suckers and make a huge mark you know, profit markup and on, uh, on eBay when people are like, hey, I just bought this thing for my child. Yeah. How do they connect your phone? Oh, they can't. Well, oh, for the low, low price of two hundred dollars you can buy this adapter from me. Or or little Jimmy and little Sally can be disappointed by your lack of thoughtfulness. And if you're
0: really, really desperate, I have a USB 56K modem that acts as a fax modem as well. So oh, I we had one of those. Yep. That was awesome.
2: <laughs> it was very compact.
0: Yeah, it's the size of an Ethernet adapter pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah.
3: I still have what's probably the most useless uh, adapter in existence right now it's it's a midi to adb adapter
0: mm-hmm. Ooh. nice yeah yeah i think i have it one of those yeah easily. tim <laughs> is like I, I got five of them in my face, i got yeah. five yeah. of those man yeah <laughs> i i have a i have a uh usb to a key span usb to abd so you can connect two adb devices to a usb mac mm. so i could i could rock my old keyboards on my mac you go tim yeah for sure of course, there's no drivers available anymore, but that's beside the point. Do you need drivers for something like that? Yeah, you yeah. needed a. There was a Keith Bad driver that when when OS X first came out, you had to have. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Normal. Mind yourself. some OS, Mac OS not classic Mac uh, devices here too. Hi me. How would you organize this Swift file, or better yet, how would Jared
1: Sinclair do it? Yeah, that's a that's a real good question. So I've been doing more and more professional you know, Swift, as opposed to just sort of tinkering with it uh, on the side. Um, you know, my current job, I'm doing a whole lot more of it. And uh, I came across this blog post by by Jared Sinclair, uh, folks probably know him as the developer for Unread or Overshare Kit and Repost, and maybe a couple of others I'm forgetting. Um, and he talks about like the way that he organizes uh, a Swift file, which uh, maybe sort of realized, like, I wasn't really sure what the, accepted way of doing that was like, I definitely have strong opinions of doing it in objective seat, but I looked at this one and, and he goes over an example case where things are kind of um, in some cases sloppy. Like there's, you know, there's some pragma marks, uh, but they're kind of not consistently used. And so, okay. He, he deals with that, but then he moves over into sort of like some of the, the readability philosophy bits, right. Where he's got, you know, all the properties are uh, above the init section, Um, and they're sort of ordered by, you know, what's the accessibility uh, of it from outside of this class or module or or what have you, where um, you can more easily view from top to bottom, the uh, sort of external interface and then sort of any internal dependencies. And I found it uh, kind of interesting because uh, it more or less maps with what I, I think an objective C style would look like. Just with, uh, to my eye, something that, that comes up that I hadn't really thought about with Swift is that the uh, the equivalent of pragma mark is just, you know, slash, slash, and then mark, colon. Um, and that looks great in, in Xcode where you're looking through and you're trying to see the different breakdowns of what there is. But I realized that it's it's not colored differently, which I think is a, a huge shame Uh, because in objective C, it's great. It's like in the theme that I use, the midnight theme, like those suckers Mm -hmm. are orange. So I'm like, okay, what am I looking at here? Oh, these are all table view delegates. Okay. What am I looking over here? Oh, these are, you know, some sort of other callback sort of thing. Um, and I would guess that hypothetically you wouldn't have too many of these in there. So it shouldn't be that much of an issue. I just have issues, you know, visually distinguishing, um, these big logical sections, where now it's everything's just green, granted It's green sure. comments.
0: We you know those um, things populate the jump bar too, right? So they separate separate out your code.
1: Yeah, with... and and it works, you know, just as well for that as it as it always did. Just sort of visual color scheme wise is, is sort of yeah. different, and I, and I got really dependent um on that. And in the case, I think, yeah, take a look at this article. I'm I'm very curious, what other folks here have, um, if you've had a chance to skim it and sort of say, oh, well, I do this other thing for blah, blah, blah reason instead.
0: Yeah. I uh, tend to do it the way he's done it here. Um, like I tend to put the variables and constants at the top of the file, um, and, you know, group the outlets and the, um, actions together, actions separately, but, you know, and if I'm doing any kind of adopting any kind of protocol, I tend to put them in an extension. So it just separates it out from the class, but yeah i'm i like to use uh marks and stuff with like pragma marks as well and I, I i don't use i use the default theme from xcode and i think they're brown like any kind of you know uh anytime you use a pound symbol in in xcode uh with the default theme it come up brown so again like you said they're they're a different color from your green comments which kind of makes you know sense but uh, i guess that's just because it's using the slash slash at the beginning of the mark right but mm-hmm. um yeah, and so uh, j- kind of, kind of, rather than having things all just sort of spread throughout the file, even even in Objective C, kind of, we tend to put our group our things at the top of the file if they're used, you know, globally in, in inside the class. Um, otherwise, you know, you can, and, and even inside a function or where or uh, you know, something where I'm where I'm putting creating local variables and constants, I would put them sort of at the top of that function so that you can sort of separate them out and see them, and that's kind of the style that I've. Adopted in in how I organize Swift files, very similar to what he's got here. Just makes it easier to find stuff.
2: I don't think there's anything at all controversial in what he's saying here. No, no, I wouldn't not at have all. bothered to write this. Um. <laughs> 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 so, yes, this is how we code things. Yeah, only because I think I think um, when you when you deal with a
0: lot of developers, like I work in a large group, and and uh, you contend if you don't have some sort of coding style guide and some sort of uh, standards, um, you get all kinds of different things out of different people's thinking. Because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's how people think about stuff that that is how they end up coding, right? And everybody thinks differently. So if you have to work in a large
2: group, you may want to have something consistent about that, right? Sort right. of on the same topic of that, uh, I wanted to point out something that our team was looking at recently. And it's a library from Nick Lockwood called Swift Format. And it's available on GitHub. I'll paste a link in here to the mm-hmm. notes. And so what it does is it's a script that you would add as uh, sort of a build script in your process, uh, in Xcode, in your project. Anyway, Swift Format, what it does is that it uh, it goes through your code. And this might freak you out, but it actually rewrites your, your files <laughs> to uh, to follow a particular format. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. It, this, this app has a number of uh, formatting rules in place already, things like putting spaces uh, around parentheses. Yep. So if, uh, if you do it wrong, it'll fix it. Uh, the way that uh, brackets are used uh, square brackets and braces and um, uh, what else we got here? Spaces around operators, around comments, comments, Trailing white space gets rid of that crap. Uh, consecutive blank lines—I saw that was in Jared Sinclair's piece. Uh, he doesn't like blank spaces, uh, so it, it just trims those down. Uh, the way that uh, that uh, if-else statements are 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 done, formatting-wise, like the way the tab spacing is done, uh, stuff like that. There's a whole bunch of them, and I think you can probably add some more if you of your own if you wished. Sure. Yeah. And uh, so this this enforces not not the order. And uh, placement of functions and uh, properties in your file, but the actual Swift code itself. So it's not exactly yeah. what Jared's talking about, but related. We use a similar thing in our Objective-C
0: stuff called Clang Format. I don't know if you guys are... It's a Alcatraz no, extension that goes through and does the same sort of thing, you know, fixes up spaces and stuff like that. Uh, I have one particular developer who's constantly going through and fixing people's spacings and... It's just because they they bother him, you know. <laughs> oh, so it's it's part of clang, a clang format. Yeah, the clang format does similar, similar things like this, but, but with Objective C, not necessarily Swift. But uh, yeah, I like this, this. This is looking good. And the other thing too, if you're new to Swift, you have to really be careful with uh, spacing, especially when you're using uh, numer- uh digital digits. You know, especially if it's to separate from what's a calculation or iteration and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. The compiler will yell at you if you don't.
2: So, right and. For the most part, like when I was looking at the rules in this uh Swift format, um I was pretty much in agreement with almost everything there. Uh it it jibed with the style that I write my code in, so I was pretty pleased with it, except for one thing. Mm-hmm. There was um I gotta go back and find it again. <laughs> oh no, no. Um there was uh in it in a list of, like a dictionary list. Let me see if I can find it again. Uh, yes. So you have an array, and say it's an array of strings, and each each item is would have a comma. The end of that list would also have a comma. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. So if you have got like array equals bracket foo comma new line bar comma new line baz comma close bracket, that's what it wants to do. And uh, I hate that. I hate that. Oh, with the fire it of a wants to put cents. the
0: comma in the back. It-
2: yeah, at the oh, end. Oh, yeah. I yeah. Do, I, yeah, I agree with you. I don't like that. Don't like it. And so I was wondering why, and uh I was talking to my team members, and uh, my other team members suggested that it was, so it would be very easy to add another item True. to the yeah. array, because you wouldn't have to worry about the comma. If you uh, assume the comma is always going to be at the end, then it makes it a little easier to not forget it.
0: Yeah, that's like one of those tabs versus spaces things. I've seen some cases where the commas end up in front of the variable name, so is weird well, as well in other languages. Oh,
2: yeah, mm. that's just weird. No, do not do. <laughs> okay. So, Aaron, Lord.
1: how does uh, Swift format differ from like, or compare and contrast to Swift Lint? From uh, okay, yes,
2: because we use Swift Lint too, and um, they they are complementary. Uh, in a way, because what Swift lint does is show you the problems that you have, and right, uh, yeah. there 's a number of stylistic rules um, like cyclomatic complexity, <laughs> which is my favorite when a when a method signature is too complex by its lights and it stops you uh right. that, that doesn 't make any sense at all to me, but never mind that one uh, <laughs> well, and what it does is that it actually it'll if you use it in its strict mode it will Uh, throw up a warning and prevent you from compiling your code. If you have a stylistic error, whereas Swift format rewrites your code. Right. 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 So, yeah. yeah. Um, And their, their rule sets do not overlap. There's a, like a, you could make a Venn diagram of them and there would be some overlap between them, but uh, they're not complete. So um, in our team, we are considering having both of them. We've got Swift Lint already. And uh, we're thinking about turning on Swift Format, too.
1: Cool. Maybe just the, the final question, if it's if it's an easy answer. So another thing I've noticed is that um, extensions don't really show up the way I would like them to in the jump bar. And I don't know if that's like a formatting thing that needs to be corrected to, to get it to show correctly, or if that's just a limitation in Xcode itself. So if you have like, you know, this view controller, let's say, what is it? Detail view controller he's showing in the example. And then in that same file, you an extension for, oh, detail view controller. It's, it's a terrible example, but it's like, oh, uh, it's also a, a table view delegate, right? And you have written an extension to, to handle your table view delegate uh, methods. When you look in the jump bar, it's just going to show you, like, you know, the, the first detail view controller. And then all these methods that he has here, like init and view did load. And then another little section that says detail view controller. Yeah. And then the table view delegate yeah. methods without intelligently like at least showing oh that's an extension that's right there yeah it looks very odd
2: it does and i'm i have the same issue i it's it, it seems to be a shortcoming in xcode um but nowadays right we Ooh. have uh like xcode has its extension architecture so that, like you can write plugins and i was actually just thinking earlier jaime when you were talking about the um the marks uh that it, it should be feasible i would think to write an xcode plugin that did treat those differently
1: right right okay cool. even so making, it sounds like, like the, collapsible. That there <laughs> yeah yeah that would definitely it. be pretty nice cold folding uh, that way would be pretty nice
2: yeah
0: cool
2: okay um, so what's
0: uh, what's new and exciting with the
2: members of this podcast uh is that some kind of very poor segue because nobody on this podcast is actually working for instagram no well, one, of <laughs> does, kinda, sort of. Some, one of us does kind of sort of some extended family the extended of family, family yeah. yeah yeah but nobody mm. nobody here on this this phone not call. presently on the call. okay holy See, cow talk about well, which makes it better because there's no
1: conflict of interest we can say whatever the heck <laughs> we want <laughs> uh,
2: which is good because i have questions <laughs> yeah i do too but go ahead instagram uh You know, Sometime Show host, Greg Heo, he of the shifty eyes, is uh, part of the team that built Instagram Live. That's what it's called, right? What are they calling it? Or is it just the feature? It's called Live Video on Instagram Stories.
0: Uh, Live, it would be so.
2: Yeah. They they use the word live. Uh, And Greg is probably yelling at the podcast right now. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Announcing Live Video on Instagram Stories. Yes. Mm. I'm looking at their blog post right now, which is in our show notes. Um. And it's essentially... like This is coming all from an, a non-Instagram user. I don't use Instagram at all. So uh, take this with a grain of salt. <laughs> you can uh, share live videos in the Instagram app. And it looks identical to Periscope, doesn't it? Does it look identical to Periscope? Uh, from I the mean, in that 20 it's 20 very
1: minimalist. I mean, it's there's kind of like same... the only so many ways to have, like, you know, a rounded rectangle kind of thing. It, 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 it's very much a content first sort of thing. So the, the Chrome, mm-hmm. if you told me it was Periscope, I would totally believe you. Um, but
2: and Facebook at the live is very similar to. Yeah. The yeah. heart thing is the same. Yeah. That's identical. Like even the animation is the same, isn't it? That's what I was wondering about. The only difference between this from
0: what I've seen and, uh, uh, live and there's another one from another company called facebook i think is that uh, these don't live beyond the live experience like they, they're not stored on the server they're just kind of sort of thrown out there and, and i believe they disappear almost immediately right well that's Which a good is thing. strange i mean that's hypothetically
1: strange. but we, we've we talked about the fact that stuff doesn't really leave once it's on the internet so <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't use this to like you know make a sex cam or something like, please don't do
3: that. <laughs> <laughs> please don't do that.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. So this is uh, clearly but...
3: an answer to Snapchat. with, with mm-hmm. its oh, it's right. Posting. That's yeah. what I'm thinking of. Yeah. 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 Which, which is uh, from a business point of view, it's very smart for Facebook to do that or Instagram to do that. Uh, because uh, Sna- uh, Snapchat is doing extremely well right now. They're talking about an IPO that's could be potentially very huge. So, yeah, it's clearly what the uh, the young people are doing these days. So it makes a lot of sense that, that Instagram would do this. You sounded yeah, so they...
2: cool when you said that though, Mark. <laughs> it's clearly what the young people are doing these days. Yes, the young people well,
3: it is. <laughs>
0: the, so they've added this story mm-hmm. thing across the top. Since you don't use Instagram, Aaron, um, these little circles with the bubbles circles at the top, they're kind of you can do like a little sort of short little group of videos and that's your story, as it were. Um, and you can click on each one of them and see them, and they kind of they kind of disappear after you watch them. So you know, Greg just puts them up quite often, um, as well as you know, just the standard stock you know sort of shot that I took, and people can comment on them and like them. Um, but stuff on Instagram generally stays there, right? So the fact that this stuff kind of disappears and becomes ethereal. Initially, when Periscope first came out, when we first talked about it, I guess, a year and a half ago, um, things would last for, like, I think a couple of weeks. But now you can actually go back, and things that I recorded in August are still there, right? Um, And Facebook is a lot of... I've seen a lot of celebrities doing, like, live uh, bits on Facebook, like Kevin Smith does them, George Stromopoulos does them, where they they do, like, a a live segment, and it stays on the, the... Facebook page for uh, any number of weeks because you can go back and watch them again if you miss the live event per se right and it's just a way of them marketing their their efforts and things but so the fact that this disappears and becomes ethereal this is like Mark was saying this is kind of what the Snapchat thing was initially right wasn't it the idea that it would you would put up something and it would just disappear yeah. almost immediately yeah right yeah ethereal?
3: that was ephemeral is what is the word they usually ephemeral use. yeah thank yeah, you yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so Snapchat does that yeah you know, I actually worked on an app a few years ago uh that is that was a similar concept uh of ephemeral posting uh it's you know it's 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 real popular amongst the younger set it really is they they they'll take pictures of things and and send them and uh you know don't want to keep them around forever which is a little bit of a different model than what instagram has traditionally done which is you know stored the, the photos in a in a uh, uh not a feed but a uh you know a gallery that, that people can go look at so it's it's a little bit of a departure but but uh it's it's definitely a, an area that people are interested in
2: Hmm.
1: yeah I, I tweeted um as soon as i saw this story come out like i guarantee you the first major revision that they have feature-wise is to let broadcasters save these things indefinitely like it's an obvious ask right we saw it with periscope you see mm-hmm. it with Facebook Live. I think there's something valuable in having the default be ephemeral and then give you, you know, like a twenty-four-hour grace period to be like, Man, that was really great. I think I'm gonna save that and let everybody see it forever.
3: Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's there's a there's a certain advantage to ephemeral uh, posts that you know, maybe Instagram doesn't care about this, but other companies do. In fact, it was probably the reason Snapchat did it in the first place. And and the advantage for the developer is that you don't have to store all the stuff. If you ha- if you're storing yep. you know, millions of photos and now millions of videos, that that can turn into a lot of storage space. And like I said, for someone right. like, like Facebook or Instagram, it's it's storage is pretty cheap. That's not a big deal. But for a little startup like Snapchat, when they first started, it was a big deal to have to store all that stuff. So I, I believe that they they didn't do that for any reason other than uh, convenience for themselves. Uh, and, and it just caught on, it became really popular. So they, they kind of stumbled into something that was a real hit there. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's like a social value though, to having your, your media like this be ephemeral, knowing that it's going to disappear, that it's not going to be stored, especially these days. I'm thinking of situations like, you know, political situations Mm -hmm. or, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. cyber bullying well, I just use the word cyber
3: sure Points. Uh, <laughs> uh oh you mean a negative that, so if it's cyberbullying yeah. bullying that's a negative thing because you don't have a record of it uh, which you would like to have if you had the bully e right you'd like to be able to store yeah. that to show people to prove or like you know what if, what if you're what uh, if sure. uh, yes that was that was considered a big advantage of it at the beginning until people realized that that nothing really is ephemeral I mean it, worst case you can just take a picture of it uh, and then you have a copy of it so it's not really ephemeral if somebody really wants to keep it around. Uh, or, you know, these, these things exist, even though they might de- uh, delete it from their server. It's pretty hard to ensure that these things get deleted 100% completely for good. So...
2: Well, that's actually know. more my question. Like, does, can we be assured that Instagram or Facebook, you know, the great vacuum cleaner of data, is actually going to delete no, this data?
3: No. No. You could not be sure of that. In fact, you could be sure that, well, you can't be sure that it's not being deleted because probably in good faith, they are trying to delete everything, but, but you cannot hundred percent be sure that it's being deleted. No way.
2: I was just looking in their FAQ in their health section and there were no assurances that I could find that this data is actually going to be gone.
1: In some respects, that might be kind of difficult, right? Like, all you would need is their distributed file system to have a bug in it where the 20th copy doesn't end up getting deleted, even though it should be. And it is physically there somewhere in a data center.
3: Yep. Yep.
2: Yeah, I mean, it has to be in a data center for some time. Right? right? Because it's being That's distributed right. around to uh, the followers and stuff.
3: Yeah, yeah. And you can never count out a malicious person or a, a working at the data center or a hacker or something. Even though everything's encrypted, there's you know, there's there's always a way for somebody to get at it if they try hard enough.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I'm gonna uh see if I can give this a try. Um I've been a consumer of the stories aspect of, of Instagram, but i I've, that's largely been read-only mode. I don't think I've ever actually created a story. So uh, next time I'm at something interesting, I'll try doing this and, and see how that feels and see how it compares mm-hmm. to my experience with uh, Periscope probably. Again, Tim, what was it? You said it was like a year and a half. That's probably right, right? Couple yeah, well, couple you, NS Norths yeah. ago is probably what it is in my head.
0: Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yes, it's true, yeah, because it, um, it just came out about that time. Exactly, yeah. Which the, And those are in April, I think, right? MS North? NS
1: North. Yeah, it's like March, April time frame, I think. Pretty early mm-hmm. in the year. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. We'll see where it goes. As long as my Facebook stock goes up, I don't care. <laughs> Whatever the kids want to do with it, right? All right. I was hoping to ask Greg uh, what his involvement was. Of course, he probably can't tell us, right? So He was a developer on the project. I guess was that's he? as much as you'll uh, get. Okay. Yeah, like he yeah. he
2: tweeted that he was involved in this. That oh, okay, this is cool. his team, right? So, right. Cool. Uh, good Greg. Right. work, right?
1: Photographic evidence that he has the like live tweet. No, sorry, the live uh, hoodie swag that he that he tweeted. So it's it's legit. <laughs> yep. It's forever there, Greg. You can't take it back.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: All right. So, uh, should
1: we get on to the picks? Sounds good. Winter is coming, Tim. Yeah, maybe you have something to warm us up.
0: Something to warm you up. Yes, I have some brain warmers for you. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Charlie, I forgot know Charlie's last name. Charlie, let's call him Charlie, uh, posted this on uh, one of our Slacks. And um, I went over and had a look at it. And it's from Heart Swift, And it's basically brain warmers. And what they are, are little uh tests on i guess uh algorithm kind of things uh, exercises you can do um and they give you an exercise and there's like a little live uh swift compiler that you can use and it's running swift 3 uh, which is kind of interesting and uh you can it gives you an exercise to try and then you try and try your hand at writing the the um the example out to get the the um function written for yourself and uh kind of cool it's free and they just started out they got seven exercises there now so i don't know if any of you guys have looked at it but uh i wasted a few uh, few minutes on it um earlier this week and i thought it would be good to share with the folks if you're into the swift frame of mind
1: yeah and and, and these are the sorts of things that um look very similar to coding interview questions i know uh, <laughs> like railed against those but like it's a practical reality of the industry and uh Pro tip um, on one of them spoilers for first n primes, but not mistaken. I think you can use a sieve of um, sieve of what? Uh, It's a Greek name, uh, Erato, Eratosthenes,
2: Aristophanes.
1: Aristophanes, thank you. There you go. Like that's an example. I would not just go out and like code that one, but in case you get stuck uh, on that.
2: Wow, this is weird. Okay yeah this isn't exactly my idea of a fun time this is not the sort of thing that i get off on personally uh playing with data structures like this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah
1: it definitely takes like a, a particular kind of interest in it like i've i've been asked by several folks to join um and there's probably more than one it's like coding wars or something similar right, where right. you um you take these little challenges and i guess based on uh, correctness and, and speed to solution. Um, you get points and it's sort of like, I can challenge you to like, Oh, look, I, I've, i did you finish, you know, puzzle number 30? Uh, I'm on puzzle number 45 now. Oh no. Sort of thing. Um, there's definitely people who are into that, like the competitive programming, uh, space, uh, just, just not my bag, but, uh, could appreciate that there's people out there who, who do enjoy it.
2: Yeah, this reminds me of a thing that I used to do uh, in my web development days called Ruby Cohen's, and they're a series of exercises in the Ruby programming language, which are very similar to this. I just put a link in the show notes, so if anyone's interested in Ruby, which is a beautiful, beautiful language, you can try these as well. It's a great way to learn the language, too. It's okay, Jaime, see. hit us. Hit us, Jaime.
1: Yeah, my, my pick is almost more of a tip, but it's semi-pick because it's a tweet. I am not the originator of this tip, but um, having read this, I'm i been using it more and more, especially as I've joined uh, you know a new company and working with a code base that I'm not you know intimately familiar with. Uh, this is a tweet by Tyler Fox, who works on um, UIKit over at Apple. Quick, easy tweet: Xcode debugging tip capture view hierarchy to identify a mystery view, then use memory graph tool to search for its address to find owner. And hmm. I've actually done that several times with like, where the heck is this coming from? Especially on, on like table views that are, you know, part of a, some sort of contained view controller where you're like, okay, there, this can be used in several different spots. Who's actually the one that's presenting this darn thing. And it's pretty easy. So you just use the little capture view hierarchy, go find, okay, this one right here, this, this label, or, for this table view cell, all right, get that memory address because it shows up on the right-hand panel and then go into the uh, memory graph tool and be like, dude, which one is this? And you can follow the chain. Like, oh, that's an account info view controller that's doing that. And who, who launched that? Oh, it was, you know, this particular coordinator that launched. Oh, okay, now I know how I got here. Super handy.
2: Yeah, which is neat. Do you use reveal, Jaime? Mean, you ever had that? You
1: know, I have used reveal before um i don't know if it's it's changed um since then i know it was a lot easier to use um if you were using app code from um jetbrains because they they had their little build process that could just like automatically inject it um it was somewhat of a hassle to use in xcode at the time where you had to actually add this like cocoapod or other third party framework um yeah, to your project you don't have to that do that now kind of mess. oh really so you can just like yeah. have it as part of your like build settings or something. Or
2: the way I have it integrated is with a breakpoint that automatically continues uh, in the app delegate, and uh, it's a symbolic breakpoint. Sorry, not not an app delegate breakpoint. Uh, and it automatically integrates it, so you don't have to install anything in the project to get it to work.
3: So what does it do that the view hierarchy? Uh, viewer in Xcode. Well, the view, do. view
2: hierarchy viewer from Xcode is ripped off, Sherlocked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> reveal, uh, except reveal has is more featureful than the view hierarchy viewer. Is that the right name for it? Um, yeah, like uh, if if you've tried the view hierarchy viewer in Xcode, uh, I think your eyes will open a little wide when you see it in Reveal. Well, I tried so, Reveal. Uh,
3: and stopped using it because I couldn't find anything that it did that the view hierarchy editor or viewer did that I needed. So what does it mm-hmm. do that, that uh, is extra and bonus?
2: Well, I don't know. Uh, I like uh, the way that it lays out the views in its layers. Uh, I can go between 2D and 3D view very easily with a button push. Uh, I can find objects uh, by their memory address. Uh, which was a pretty neat addition to the latest version. Um yeah. I think just, live
1: live edits was something that Reveal yeah, does uh, I remember edits. like a year and a half ago was was sure, pretty good yeah. at. Uh and I don't think it
2: I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can, Xcode. yeah. I
1: think it's just a view hierarchy viewer, yeah. I think, in Xcode. Yeah. So so monkeying around with like auto layout stuff is is easier in reveal. I I just gave yeah. up on it uh, a while ago because of the, the Xcode project integration that I didn't like. Uh, mm-hmm. but if that's been
3: mm-hmm. resolved.
1: Yeah. But if that's been resolved, I think maybe I need to take a look at that again.
2: Yeah, you can actually edit um many of the UI view properties. Uh so you just select your object and make any changes you like and you can see how things are fitting together. So that's a very powerful tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jaime,
0: uh, coming back to the uh, view debugger memory graph, what's the memory graph part of it? I've used view debugger in the past, and currently have an app right open right now. I'm just looking at the view of it right now. What is yeah, okay. So, so
1: you know where the, the capture view hierarchy and the debugger tools, right? It's it's I don't know, it's like three rectangles. Kind of looks like it could be like a watch band kind yeah, of looking. Yeah, yeah, I got that going. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so, uh, one or two icons to the right will be the three circles connected by oh lines, okay kind well, this of looks is, like a sharing icon you remember sure. we, we talked about that as being like a way to find like retain cycles and stuff uh-huh. uh, so this is a horrible abuse of that process but this is more like oh because the view uh hierarchy stuff will give you memory addresses sure um rather than going in and you know uh, there are um command line bits you can run at the, the debugger console to to get that information right. I like just going over to the memory graph tool and just pasting it in and then i can see not only immediately what that thing is but also the chain of how i got there
0: right 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 that's cool and this this is only an xcode 8 or is this an xcode 7
1: as well
2: i think it's no it's well the the memory
1: graph was new to 8 Um, i can't remember when capture view hierarchy came out i think that might have been 7 yeah yeah
0: I just, uh, I just, yeah, just stumbled across it here as you were saying. So yeah, I see the memory graph here. I remember at the WWDC videos from 2016 that they had uh, talked about this product or this new way of looking at things, and it looks interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at a simple landing page, and I've got like probably like 30 or 40 objects on the screen in front of me right now. Strange stuff.
2: The tip. Pro tip. Hashtag. Pro tip. <laughs> do you want to do my all pick right. now sure all right so my pick is a page on github by dr duh i don't know who this guy is he's got to have a name doesn't have a name d-r-d-u-h whoever this fellow is he's published a page called a practical guide to securing mm-hmm. mac os and it is a exhaustively long uh series about different aspects of nailing down mac os from a security standpoint and uh i i was browsing through it today and kind of going agog at the level of detail mm-hmm. uh, if you're at all into this i think you'll find that if you had any sense of security about your mac as it comes to you out of the box this will shatter that illusion <laughs> um, very surely and so if if you're looking to be truly secure, especially in this era of, let's face it, we're less secure now than we used to be. This is a, a way to harden your system. And I just don't know that it's going to be possible for you to follow all the advice on this page. But uh, some of the things that you'll find here, you know, pick and choose and uh, everything that you do will make your situation better. Uh, but it is extensive. Uh, things from, I, I really uh, enjoyed—I <laughs> put that in air quotes—enjoyed the part about installing the operating system. You think installing the operating system from Apple is just like you know uh, a secure uh, thing that you can do? No, no. There, there are so many ways uh, to uh, to have a bad actor get in the middle of that. So here's here's actually what you ought to do uh, by checking the hash and then creating your actual your own boot image. Uh, verifying that one and then creating a virtual machine um, and then uh, setting up a web server to transmit that image uh, instead of Apple server so that you can trust that it's coming from you. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. There's some crazy stuff in here. Oh, we've got, uh, that's right. Hacker man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for the, uh, Thank you, <laughs> for the audio
1: the audio it. Hopefully Tim can get this into the show notes. It was uh, in the chat. I put, The Mm -hmm. Hacker Man meme, which has um, Elliot from Mr. Robot on there.
2: It's great. I love that guy. Mm -hmm. Great show. So um, I I definitely recommend that you take a look at this if you're interested in this sort of thing. I I cannot conceivably cover it in any meaningful depth because there is literally so much. There's just so much. It's crazy. But um, if you're serious about security, this is a great starting point. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: this is the sort of uh, thing that always has me telling people when I've, you know, I've been in jobs. they like, oh, we need to add some security, blah, blah, blah. Lopez, can you do it? I'm like, uh, I
3: don't
1: <laughs> think you want me to do that. There are people who are paid really good money to really know this sort of stuff. And yeah. uh, I'll definitely take a look at this and see if there's anything that I can use in my daily life that might be interesting from that.
2: And then there's additional resources, and it goes on for quite a while, too. Yeah, it it really Mm -hmm, does. mm -hmm. Um, It really seems to highlight this disparity between security and convenience. You know, Uh, things that are more secure are less convenient. And, you know, that's definitely true when you read this. It's the thought that I had going through my head. I was like, oh, I want to be more secure, but, oh, God, I cannot bother with this stuff. (laughs) Are you crazy? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) It's unfortunate, but there it is. I mean, I think if if there were sort of a perfect future where uh, technology could be made uh, very secure, like very, very secure, without a ton of knowledge and intervention on the part of the user, then you've got to win. And I guess, you know, Apple is sort of into that, right? Like they they do what they can to offer like full disk encryption, for example, which is a, a great technology to have, firmware, passwords, stuff. But, you know, people don't really take advantage of them so much because, you know, you really have to know they exist. Anyway, that's my pick. Cool. All
0: right. So, hey, Aaron, if people want to get hold of you on the interwebs, where would they fo- find you?
2: Twitter.com slash Bay.
1: And Jaime, if people want to find you? I'm also on Twitter as at Tev the Hair.
0: And if, Mark, people want to get in touch with you?
1: Mark R at SmapSoft.com.
0: And once again, I'm Tim Mitra. I am T-I-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter, and we'll see you guys next week. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website. And if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press that recommend button. All of these things help others find out about the show, and we really appreciate your help in spreading the word. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. You can also support the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again next time. There's a lot of those sort of sort of games now, right? So yeah, I
3: did play one on the iPad when the iPad kind of first mm-hmm. came out. It was called Nova. Did you play that one? No, no. It's actually pretty good.
0: But speaking of which, I just I, I didn't put it in the show notes, but uh, somebody's actually come out with a Dune for the touch bar. Did you see that?
1: Wow. Yeah, I saw You're that one. They they like shoved it on there, and it's really it's really odd, but it does yeah. kind of uh, sort of follow that whole history of people putting Doom <laughs> on just about everything. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I asked James Thompson if he was going to put uh, Pete Calc on Touch Bar. I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny. Have you been playing with Touché at all, or I've been running it all week on my computer at home here. So even even when I'm watch when I'm go to my QuickTime audio recording, I can see you know the bits are flying, as Jaime would say mm-hmm. when I switch over to that. So it's interesting how many apps you know haven't supported, but how many how many have actually? It's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, I, I haven't because I've been mostly spending my time doing work stuff and. Mm-hmm. that um that laptop isn't on um isn't on sierra so oh, I, okay. I can't use it on that i haven't really messed around with it on my personal laptop
0: yeah i have it i have it on my workout work one as well so it's kind of kind of interesting it's interesting to things like especially when like aaron said when the videos come on so i finally got to finish stranger things holy uh, after, cow yeah i just watched it have you watched it before mark
3: Yeah, I told you about it, I think, didn't
0: I? Oh, yeah. Well, Aaron was the one that kind of brought it to my attention anyway. But, Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I watched it, and I guess a couple nights ago, I watched, like, the first six episodes, and I just watched the last two yesterday. So, interesting thing. What
2: would you think about it? It was really good. Really well done. Creepy, you know? It was nice and creepy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you guys
0: watched Black Mirror at all? Yes. No, I
1: haven't. Uh, not, Not all of it. I've only seen... Maybe all of season
3: two. I'm not I'm not sure. Yeah, Seasons I, are so I'm short. So I might have seen, seen all season two, season three Yeah, yeah I've yeah, only seen
0: one one so far. I saw the one with John Hamm in it, but because uh, I think I can only get season one episode from season two, and then season three, I guess, is on our our box. Which here, is so. which is
3: the one with John Hamm?
0: He, the one where he's um he's trying to get uh, he's trying to talk to this uh, other guy um about some crime that he committed or something he did. Um, and it's about putting out, his job is putting, p- making copies of people and putting them inside of like a little egg so that they can control the household appliances. Like they would make a copy of Mark Rubin and put him inside the little egg. Do you not remember that one? I don't want to no. give too much away. No, I
3: don't, I don't remember that one. I'll have to go back and look. I, I watched the first couple of seasons a couple of years ago.
0: It starts on Christmas Day, like apparently it's Christmas Day, and, and okay. yeah, yeah. So, and I, all I remember is, is the a guy from Shaun of the Dead who says, "You got red on you." That was the British actor that was playing the other part. These two guys in a cabin in the middle of nowhere. That's how it starts. So,
1: yeah. Oh, so yeah. it's the other guy, not not Simon Pegg, but the other the other guy. Yeah. Well, you remember
0: the the guy that was the dealer? No, not Fred. the the guy The guy who worked in the electronics store was Simon Pegg. Mm-hmm. Right, and uh, yeah, he's. He's the one. He's the one calling uh, Fred on the phone and and making deals with him all through the movie. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have to watch it, the movie like seven times to get to catch that, I guess. Anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we need to head out a little bit okay. early today because last minute planning for Thanksgiving. Uh, ah, right, here yeah. in the U.S. of A. All, the, uh, are closed all, closed all closed. the shopping is done for like the main stuff, so that's good. I I don't. I don't wish that on anybody who happens to still go out right now the night before <laughs> Thanksgiving. And all right, I'll see you guys. See you. Have see a good one. one. Have a good holidays.
3: Happy Thanksgiving.
0: Mm. <laughs> It'll be too Bye. late by the time this goes out.
3: Oh, that's true. Well, I was talking to the hosts.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Happy Thanksgiving to you too.
0: I'll, uh, see, I'll see you
3: all. In, uh, Enjoy the time.
1: football. I will. Oh man, so the Cowboys better Cowboy win this
3: so tomorrow, right? Or is there?
1: Yeah, in the afternoon.
3: Oh, it's afternoon game. Okay. Um.
2: Yeah.